Today's Ag Spotlight episode is sponsored by Energrow. Energrow's oilseed pressing system helps farmers crush their feed costs. The easy way to make fresh, homegrown, high-quality meal plus expeller pressed oil right on the farm. The fully automated Turnkey Crush Pro is easy to set up and run 24-7. To learn more, go to energrow.ca. And welcome to North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. Our guest today joins us from central ne- Nebraska. He has a popular radio show and podcast that's dedicated to exploring people and places in rural America. I would like to welcome Trent Luce of Loose Tales. Welcome, Trent, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Chrissy. I'm just glad you bought that line about being a popular radio show. I was telling people that, and finally somebody grasped that it might be popular. Yeah, I read it. I'm just a dumb Canadian. <laughs> now, so. Hey, if you read it, you know it's true. <laughs> obviously <laughs> i've been practicing a while so hopefully a couple people listen. my mom likes it that's all that really matters that's true that's good so what's your story where did you come from what's your farming background <laughs> i laugh because story. uh well that's a 56 year long story to be honest started mm-hmm. on october 11th 1966 it was a cold morning <laughs> i was i spoke to a group of hutterites in uh, minneapolis one day it was actually uh, like Black River Falls, the research center. And this guy who became a really good friend, Clarence, he came up to me and he said, Trent, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Nebraska. Oh, I'm from my mother. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so I always have to go back to, well, I came from my mother. Right. <laughs> uh, my family came from Germany to West Central Illinois in 1832. And um, I left Illinois because I saw the writing on the wall and 1988, to be honest. But my family, my sister, has, is raising a, a, my nephew on the home place. And that place is still in our family and has been in our family since 1832. Wow. So I often use that story to share when people talk about, you know, farmers need to learn to become sustainable. Well, we've been taking care of the same land since 1832. If you got clues on how to make it sustainable, let me know, because I think you're kind of doing okay. But I'm more into the animal side of the world. And so my wife and I, and we have raised three daughters in central Nebraska. We have 100 sows, 100 cows, 25 horses. And I've been very blessed in the past 22 years now to be out on the speaking trail, uh, in, gathering interviews, meeting people such as yourself and other great Ontarians like Wendell Shum, who I met speaking in Ontario, and just bringing those stories of the human interest side of the people and the places in rural America and, and rural way of life around the world. And so in 22 years, I've been very blessed to speak to audiences in 48 states in the United States, five Canadian provinces and four continents around the world. And I got to tell you that even through the past year, when we've not been able to see people and hug them like we want to, it's been very refreshing for me to be able to get on a a Zoom call or some media outlet and and talk to somebody in the UK or Ireland or Australia or Brazil that that I've met along the way. And it's, it's those friendships and how we have people around the world that just share the same bond and love of land and livestock and taking care of God's creation and improving the planet and improving human health. And so I try to bring that to light. Wow. Yeah, that that's awesome. And a lot of your content focuses on bridging the gap between food producers and consumers. So what was the catalyst for you, you know, identifying that problem, but, and then finding a way to address it? 
There was a Hollywood actor that actually came close to our place in about 1998. And he was talking about how we need to eliminate animal agriculture. And I, I was in the audience and I heard him say that. And something hit me inside that said, you know what? He's going to continue to tell that story. And if those of us that get our hands dirty every day, do not start telling our own story. They're going to believe who they hear most often. Mm -hmm. And one week later, I walked into a gentleman's radio studio and happened to be in Spearfish, South Dakota. His name is Jim Thompson, still a dear friend of mine. I walked in. I said, hi, my name is Trent Luce, sixth generation United States farmer. I want my own radio show. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, yeah, you and every other American. And I sat down and Jim says, oh, you're serious. I said, sir, I'm not leaving till we get a deal. And three months later, we began producing a program together. Six months later, I began producing Loose Tales. And 20-some years later, Loose Tales airs on 100 radio stations in uh, 21 states with roughly about 3 million radio listeners, not counting the web. And the whole web aspect, as you well know, has exploded in the past year. So it's just finding a way to get people to understand who, how, and where their food is truly produced because so much of what they hear isn't true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that couldn't be true. I, I have a story. I always talk about, um, there's a, a, a woman that I know and she was saying that she had her chickens at a fall fair and, you know, she had some chicks with the hen in a, in a cage and a lady and a kid walked up to the cage and the, the little girl said, mom, what are the chicks doing? And she said, oh, they're drinking milk. <laughs> they're nursing their mother <laughs> yeah that's it right and she was dead serious and I know. you know that there is such a divide and there's so many mis so much misunderstanding right my favorite airplane story and and back when i flew that, that was great fodder for what i talked about in my speeches and, and radio programs uh, that i haven't flown in 54 weeks and not planning to again soon but anyway uh this lady ask me they always ask me what i do because they look at me and they think what well, are you headed to hollywood to trap for the next tombstone movie or what you know it's just <laughs> like no this is another day ranching in nebraska and uh, so i always tell them that i ranch in central nebraska and she said oh that's really cool and i gotta tell you though i'm a vegetarian i don't have a problem with people being vegan or vegetarian but i would like to know why you've made this choice to deprive your body of essential nutrients and this lady on this plane, she had the best answer ever. Well, I'm a vegetarian. Well, except I do eat chicken wings. I thought, well, that's the strangest combination. You think you're a vegetarian, but chicken wings are okay. I said, well, why are chicken wings okay and no other meat is? Well, because I know the chicken can grow its wing back. What? <laughs> <laughs> You win. That's a winner, winner, chicken dinner right there. Nobody's ever been that creative with me. Wow. <laughs> I need some of those chickens. <laughs> oh, you know what? We could partner up and make some modified chickens so that they did grow their wings back. Yeah, that sounds that sounds profitable. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it sounds a lot better for the environment as well compared to meat in a Petri dish. Yes, that's true. All right, Chrissy, so enough about me. Tell me about you, your passion to drive horses. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, uh, I, I love horses. I've been around horses my whole life, and there is an incredible 
family in Niagara Lake, Ontario called the Sentinels. And they, mm. they introduced me to horses back in the nineties to driving horses back into the nineties. Really? And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I still, I, well, up until COVID I drove, uh, I drove every year in our town's Christmas festival uh, since probably the 90s, maybe a couple of years off while I was having babies. And uh, yeah, this last December was the first year that I did not drive horses in that festival. So thank you, Justin Trudeau. What a moron. <laughs> Absolutely. We have COVID in Canada too, eh? Unfortunately, we, <laughs> well, we are bearing the brunt of it, I guess, is probably more accurate. With yeah, our... It sounds like it. It's a mess up there. I thought we, the Great Plains of America, for the most part, is mm-hmm. pretty much back to normal, to be honest. There are some yeah. states around the nation that uh, they're, they're, the governors are doing some stupid things. And they get all of the attention, by the way. The rest, oh, well, we just go about our business. But what I continue to hear about my friends in Canada dealing with is just, it's just wrong. I completely agree. I completely agree. I, uh, we just got an alert on our phones saying that we're in, we're in lockdown house arrest now for a month. Did you so, rob a bank or what did you do? I wish. Cause then at least I could spend money on Amazon, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> do not spend money there. That's part of that the problem. I knew you'd react to that. He is the problem. Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos is part of the issue. He's he's funneled a whole bunch of money into these politicians, forcing people to stay home, not going to shop at local stores. Meanwhile, yeah. oh, yeah, guess what we just got in the mail? So glad you brought that up, Chrissy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand <laughs> now he's petitioning and wanting to do home delivery of pharmaceuticals. Oh, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Just say sure. no. Keep us, just keep us say in our house, no. right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So back to questioning you. <laughs> I don't think that'll go very well, but try it. Go ahead. <laughs> so you do use humor to get your point across. I obviously very much appreciate that. Um, so why do you think it helps connect your audience? So I was naive enough when I started doing this 20 some years ago to think that I'm just going to educate people. Mm-hmm. And quickly I learned that if you don't entertain them, yeah. there is no education involved. Mm-hmm. And then I learned that the average citizen, whether you're in the United States, Ontario, or or Manitoba, Manitobans are a little shorter in attention span, I think, than most, uh, <laughs> is shorter than a, a goldfish, seven seconds. So, you know, we have all these people that want to pontificate for an hour, and I'm in, really intrigued by back in the day with our forefathers in both countries, you know, back in the Hudson Bay day of development of Canada, and and we had fur trappers here, we would have politicians give speeches for two to three hours. Mm-hmm. We don't have people that can pay attention for two to three minutes today. And so we need to all learn how to express ourselves in a way that shares our stories, shares our experiences, but do it in a way that truly educates people as they want to be educated. And if you don't do that, you're just talking to yourself. You might as well just be in the shower, which I do too. Well, that's good. No, it's a great place to practice. You're far away, so I can't smell you, but. (laughs) We are far away. Um, Knowing about where you're at, I think you're uh, 1,200 miles from me. Probably. Sounds about right. 
I have driven actually to London before. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's only two hours from me though. <laughs> <laughs> I did a really fun project once because I'm anti-GPS too. I taught, we have mm-hmm. three daughters. They're 23 just last Thursday, 18 and one turned 16 this week. And so all three of my daughters, I'm sure they cheat and use their phone to tell them where to go. Mm-hmm. But when we would ride horses, when they're very young, they had to find the North star for me. They had to tell me which way East, North, South, all of these directions were. And I, I think it's important that we lose, we don't lose these sense of survival instincts that so many humans have lost. And so one day I was speaking in Brussels, you know, where Brussels is I do know Brussels, Brussels. agri-service is a great little business up there. And yeah. uh, we were actually doing a Gallagher fencing day, but that's beside the point. Anyway. Um, so I had, all afternoon to get from London. I flew into London and to get to Brussels. And all I knew was Tim told me, uh, Tim Pryor, he said, yeah, we're just about a hundred miles North of Brussels. So I decided I'm just going to fly in, rent a car, not look at a map. I didn't ever turn my phone on because I'm frugal. I don't do an international plan. And it took me 22 minutes longer than what they said it should have taken me. No way. And I just, I just, I just drove and I did, I went by senses one time. I will tell you, I maybe cheated, but this is about being a resourceful, right? About like how the pioneers would have done. Yeah. I got stopped in road construction and I asked him one question about getting to Brussels and he kind of steered me, you know, in a neighborly kind of way, steered me in a direction. And I ended up about 17 miles West of where Brussels actually was. So it took me 22 minutes longer to find Brussels with, from London, then it would have fought a red map or had my GPS talk to me. Wow. That was fun. Been, yeah, I bet. I'm I'm also an anti-GPSer. You can ask anyone. No way. Get out of here. Oh yeah. I, you know, I know I can get pretty much, well, my dad always from the time I was little gave me a map and made me be navigator. And I thought that was a really great job. So I got to learn. Was, the he roads my brother? Really early. was your dad, my brother? I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So I'll, you know, set out and where's the GPS. I, I know where I'm going. I might get lost sometimes, but I can get found too. That's awesome. I like to have, I like to know where I'm going and I like to uh, yeah figure it out for myself and look at the signs. Yeah. But yeah, I remember that clearly. (laughs) And that was quite a while ago. Well, yeah, that that's amazing. You know, usually I'd look at a map first and, try to memorize the roads right. and then go I, but i do the same thing mm-hmm. but i i'm really to chris i'm to the point where from pennsylvania to particularly the rocky mountains in the united states mm-hmm. i never look at the map because i just i've got a Rand mcnally in my head i just been right. there so much yeah my low mileage vehicle is three hundred thirty thousand miles on it wow that's and it's not an electric pickup by the way oh i was that was my next question darn it <laughs> It's diesel. Yes. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Interesting to note, as we have people attempting in in your country and my country, the North American continent, to plant a negative stigma on fossil fuels, Mm -hmm. one gallon of diesel fuel replaces 500 man hours in food production. Wow. That's a great fact. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I actually learned it from J.C. Cole, a friend of mine who I have on the radio every Wednesday from New Jersey, spent 18 years in Lafayette 
and was there when the Soviet Union crumbled. And so I use him to show the parallels and there's just such an attack. And you've had it happening in Ontario. Look, you had this hydro situation, which we call electricity, by the way, you call it hydro, where you were demanded to do all of this renewable energy Mm -hmm. and your hydro bills tripled in 30 days. Wake up and smell the coffee, people. Yeah. Speaking of which, I think I'll have a sip. Right. They have to wake up. I'll have to send you some, a mug. Uh, That is a great mug. I would accept that. (laughs) So you also tackle political issues that affect agriculture. No, I don't talk politics at all. (laughs) So why, why is that important to you to do that? So in the first 18 years, in fact, in those 18 years of doing radio every single day, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. I interviewed three elected officials. Wow. Because, I mean, everybody with a media outlet, right? They go to the elected official and that's the voice they want to get presented. Mm-hmm. Mainly because they don't know real people in the real country. Yeah. And it's just easy to talk to a politician because they've always got some yarn they want to spin. And I remember point blank interviewing my governor, who has now become a good friend, Governor Pete Ricketts of the state of Nebraska, Mm -hmm. about six years ago. This was in his second year in his first term. And I told his communication person, Taylor Gage, I said, Taylor, you know, this is only the third elected official I've ever interviewed in 18 years. And that was because of what I just told you. I wanted to bring the real people, the people that, like last night, Frances Delaney. I met her at a meeting in Red Cloud, Nebraska. She's a farmer in Kansas, and she's just so passionate about farming and the future of farming and keeping this farm and her family that's been there for generations. Those are the people that I want to share the stories of. Yeah. But to be honest, government has become so intrusive and eroding so many of our basic rights as citizens of our countries, both countries, that I just have to go to those individuals that I agree with and I don't agree with Mm -hmm. and just share those views. You know, as I talk about the governor of Nebraska, which I'm a very big fan of, I also in the last two weeks have have interviewed Jane Klebb, who is the chairman of the Democratic Party for the state of Nebraska. And so I think it's important. And I interview as many animal rights activists as I possibly can. I, I think it's important, Chrissy, that we we sit down and have respectful discussions with people that we don't agree with. And to me, that's the biggest challenge in the human race today Mm -hmm. is that even look on social media. If you start challenging somebody on whatever your social media platform is, Mm -hmm. boom, they block you. It's like, why are you blocking me? Let's just have Mm -hmm. a a respectful discussion. And at the end of the day, we can agree to disagree. Or maybe I'm going to think about things in a way that I've never thought about them before. Isn't that why we're supposed to have these honest and, and outright respectful debates and discussions? Why is that lost? And so I want to bring that back. But in, in the era of what has happened, particularly in the past year, you just can't go without having discussions with politics and politicians to try to figure out what is the logic behind what's happening. And so that's why I have become very political in the past year, because I'm not happy with what's happening. And and we live in a representative republic where the people who el- are elected represent our views well they don't know what we what our views are unless we tell them so we need to get louder i can't agree with you more on that and then what do you think are the 
biggest opportunities for agriculture now? You know, you know, we can say what we're upset with and we can say, you know, things that are going wrong. But what do you think, on the other hand, are are the opportunities that we face that we need to really grasp, right, that we have to work hard for? So I've really done a lot of soul searching myself, to be honest, um, because I've been supportive of farmers and agricultural ways, whatever it takes to survive. And and I'm in favor of contract production for an entity. If your, uh, your views align and the state of Iowa has become a great livestock state because farmers have, have re- entered into contracts with multinational corporations because it works for both of them. We have to really reevaluate the vulnerability of our just in time food supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we have lost the community atmosphere of the essentials of life and food, you know, people go to the store every day to get what they want to eat. That's not security. Right. Our parents, and we still do this, but not to the degree our parents did, you know, you, you harvest food out of the garden and you can it and you prepare it so that you have 12 months supply of food. Uh, why can't we get back to that? Why, why did we lose sight that it was so easy to just have a just-in-time food supply? And it's put all of us very vulnerable. And so I think the opportunity is for producers of all sizes, big and little, to really get closer to the consumer. And what we do with our, our pig programs and our beef programs is that we are more closely aligned directly to consumers than we've ever been before and that's not driven by the economies of scale. Mm-hmm. There's still some advantages that, that come along with that, but you can be any size you want if you're getting closer to a larger percentage of the consumer's food dollar that makes your farm sustainable across the board in the United States. And you're really no different. Uh, we're, we're pretty much the same in all statistics and people in the United States just don't recognize that we're partners. Right. And we've had too many challenges in that respect, but 17% of the consumer's food dollar goes to the farmer. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, the lion's share of it goes to transportation because we've made it very efficient to produce vegetables in the Salinas Valley in California mm-hmm. and, and transport them anywhere in the world. You know, everybody talks about local food because you got to have it fresh. Well, I was in in California in a strawberry field where they were picking strawberries, cutting the tops off, putting it in a package, wrapping it in in plastic, putting it on a crate. The crate was going to LAX airport that night and would fly in the base bottom of a commercial flight into New York City that night and the next day be served on the table in New York City. Wow. We don't get any more fresh than that. Yeah. But there's a tremendous amount of miles that are involved in making that happen. And we're doing it in in conjunction with a commercial airline. So it's very efficient, but it puts your whole food system at risk because what happened? What happened was the commercial airlines have not been flying for the past year, right? Mm -hmm. And so we go in grocery stores in New York City and the food is not at the same abundance that it was prior. It's because we set up a system that was really dependent upon transportation. I'm not anti-food miles, but I am very pro-food as a means of national security, and communities need to be more involved in producing those essentials of life. And and I mentioned your hydro situation in Ontario. We're maybe most vulnerable with our energy supplies because in the United States, we have a, a handful 
of transformers that control the entire electric grid. Mm. Yeah. And by the way, mm. would you like to guess where they were all made? One guess, China. It, was, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't Toronto. You're, you're very nope. correct. It was China. Yeah. So we just need just need to come back. Yeah. You know, I happened to go to Japan, and I was speaking in Japan uh, within the first couple of months of the Trump administration. And the folks in Japan were like, you Americans, you are are America first, America first. You just need to get over that. We need to do. And I stood up and I said, you know what? You should be Japan first. You should be Canada first. We should be America first. We should all put our people as our first priority and do what's best for our people. And part of that is entering tremendous relationships and trade agreements and, and cooperation and communication with our friends in Canada or Japan. And if each one of us would take this approach and show patriotism to home first and then establish proper relationships, everybody would be better off. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the line, we lost that. And so I see more people with their backs against the wall and getting back to what you and I think are important. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, and really it kind of goes hand in hand with the family, right? Put less importance on the family and, and you know, we used to have those strong walls around family, and now that's gone. So it makes sense it would go for our countries, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Some, somebody was running an ad on the radio five years ago. You know, it's important that you eat with your kids. You should talk to your kids. <laughs> you need some whack job on the radio telling you that it's important to eat with your kids. You ought to know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's mind-blowing, really, when you really it think really about is. it. It hurts. <laughs> is that why I have a headache? <laughs> Might be. <laughs> uh, so I have one more question for you. I've never considered being a woman. I'm fully man. I'm, a, I'm very comfortable with that. If that's your question. What a relief. No. Yeah, yeah. No, relief. I'm not interested in estrogen <laughs> injections. All right. All right. Good. Well, we got that out of the way. So. Is that your question? <laughs> I guess I have to come up with another one then. (laughs) (laughs) So what fires you up? What did God put you on this earth to accomplish? Oh, just inspire people to think about things in a way they've never thought about them before. Don't be a bunch of sheeple just following a leader. Even with what I'm saying here today, I hope that you uh, take it to heart, but then go think about it, research it, and come up with your own decision. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just challenging you to think about things in a way you've never thought about them before. And at the end of the day, if we all do that, the world will be a better place. Wow. That was, that's a great answer. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Trent. And uh, that was a great discussion. Thanks to everybody else watching. If you want to learn more, the links to find Trent's shows are uh, in the show notes. And uh, have a great day. You have show notes? Oh, my goodness. I'm way behind. Yeah. (laughs) The way we conduct business and agriculture has endured a drastic change. Our handshake industry has traditionally been face-to-face, but with the cancellation of in-person events and farm shows, everyone has had to adapt, from farms to manufacturers to service providers. With a dizzying array of marketing and digital business choices, you need to make the right decisions or risk not being seen at all. If you need advice or a customized plan for your business, don't hesitate to reach out to me at chrissywozniak.com or chrissy.info because that's easier to spell. Don't risk not pivoting your business. 
find a path that will take you into the digital space and be seen by our industry. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit Fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar. That's NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar to register now.